Morning, church. It's great to be with all of you. I'm Scott Sweeney, one of your ministers from here in Palm Desert. It's great to be with Rancho and Riverside today. want to wish a happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. I hope you made the loved ones in your life feel special. And it is awesome to know that as we worship God, that he wants to make us feel special, that he rejoices over us with singing, whether we're married, single, whoever we are, that God looks at us as the apple of his eye, that his perfect love is something that he gives to us every single day. And I hope that you feel that even now. But in that spirit of love, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus has a conversation with someone and talks about what it truly means to love like him. And you may know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. I know it's a story that we're familiar with, but I pray that it speaks to all of us today. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together I pray that your spirit works on our hearts today, that your word comes alive, that even in a familiar passage, that you can show that you speak to us every time we open up your word. God, help us to love and love more deeply. Help us to love like Christ and help us to be open to you. I pray that you get me out of the way so that we can hear your words. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start reading in Luke 10, verse 25. Jesus says, on one, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, G, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. There's never been a more important question asked to Jesus that you could ask then or even now, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You might remember another story where a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he asks him the same thing on his knees. Jesus, what must I do? And for the rich young ruler... Jesus called him to sell your possessions and give to the poor. And that wasn't a command for everyone, but for where he was at in his walk with God, that's exactly what he needed. And we're going to see today what this man needed from where he was at in his walk with God. And I pray that God even shows us what what do I need to grow in my walk with God? What is keeping me from him even And if you're with us visiting, we want to welcome you here. And I I pray that you learn to, we all learn to love like Jesus. So this rich, this uh, expert in the law, kind of like a legal, a a lawyer of, of the Jewish faith, came to Jesus and he wanted to make sure that he had things straight. And it says he came to test him. But there may have been a genuineness there, but God, help me. See where I stand. Help me know where I'm at so I can know what to do now. And he got it. He got the famous Shema from the Jewish faith. The Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That, that was the prayer that they would recite every day 
basically saying the Lord alone is God. There's no one besides him. It's like a declaration of independent of allegiance to God. That he understood that. And he also understood what Jesus had taught in, in a parallel passage in Matthew 22. That the entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. What we would call the golden rule. And so he made the transition intellectually from the old covenant to the new covenant. He combined the most important things in each together. And Jesus even said it. You got it right. And he followed that up with the simple statement, do this and you will live. That's where it got a little tricky. But this man, it says that he came to test Jesus. And I'm sure as he heard this story, he was challenged. And he thought about, am I right? Is this the right way to go? Do I have the right answer? Am I going to pass the test? And he you get the impression that he was listening to Jesus trying to find fault or trying to find a way to break Jesus down. You know, I've been in the ministry for 29 years. And one of the most difficult things I find is listening to someone else preach or listening to the word of God taught on at Bible talk or at church and thinking about it personally. What is God speaking to me? What do I need to get out of this? Let me open up my mind to the spirit here because it's so easy for me to sit there and think, is this person teaching accurately? How is the, the depth? Is there, are they going to bring out anything new to this passage? I wonder what story they're going to share to kind of bring this home to make this relevant to us. Do they use too many scriptures? Not enough scriptures? And I can find myself even thinking, I know where this is going. I know what's going to happen next. And isn't that a temptation for all of us? And in my mind, I could think, well, I, I'm just experienced. I, I'm, I'm wise in the scriptures. And yet, in another way, it could be considered, I'm proud. I'm hard-hearted. I'm not open to the word anymore. I don't see it like I used to see it in, in thinking about God and what is he saying to me. And I want to encourage you as you read and listen to the word not to think about all those other things, but to really hold on to it personally. That's the challenge for me and for any of us who have been around for any length of time. Because I do believe God speak to, speaks to us every time we open the word. Can I get an amen? And I'm, I'm so encouraged that we get to look at this passage today. And I learned something new this week that I never had known. About our, uh, the history of, of our church, of the history of the Protestant churches in general. And many of us are familiar that in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Castle Church in Wittenberg, and it became the beginning of the Reformation. And he was responding against all these evils that were happening and indulgences and, and you know, legalism and, and a lot of different concerns. And what I, what I didn't know, what I learned this week is, 
there was also a connection with Martin Luther with this uh, brother named Michael the Deacon from Ethiopia. And they had a connection and had been in touch. And in 1534, he traveled to Wittenberg to meet with Luther and and discuss. And they they made kind of an alliance. They 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 agreed with one another. They established a fellowship with each other and what they believed and, and how they practiced. And, and what Martin Luther noticed when he heard about the Ethiopian churches where he just felt like they're, they're free from corruption. It, it, it's more of a the pure message that we're trying to get to. And he also learned that the ministers and priests could get married, married. And so that became part of him. And I don't know exactly who influenced who, but it was amazing to see just even the influence of this relatively unknown person to me, Michael the Deacon from Ethiopia, even had on our history and those connections. But it just shows me that Martin Luther was trying to learn that there was a learning spirit, that there was a fellowship and that, that's always healthy in our walks with God to continue to learn, to continue to grow. And I love that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I grow in my faith? Where is God leading me? And I pray that you can ask yourself that to God. That's a scary question. But it's also a helpful question because God will answer us in that way. Let me continue reading in verse 29. He says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This is where it starts to get bad for this guy. And that's my second point. Who is my neighbor? It says that he wanted to justify himself. That he wasn't sure where this was going, and so he wanted to clarify and Jesus is going to go on to talk about loving our neighbor. I don't know if you've ever had a difficult neighbor. You ever had one of those? Ever had the neighbor that, you you know, it's hard. It makes life a little difficult. Back in Connecticut, when my kids were young, we had this neighbor named Mr. DeMickey. And he had been in this neighborhood for about 30 years. So we were kind of the new family on the block. And... One time we were out at our house and we were having a uh, a meeting with some of our small group leaders. And I looked over and I see Mr. DeMickey there just kind of staring at us. And it it was kind of eerie. I was just like, what is this guy doing? I don't understand. He doesn't look too happy right now. And then as it happened the next day, we had somebody over and they were getting baptized in our uh, above ground hot tub there. And so we're out there, and we're we're all excited, and we're sharing. And I look over, and there's Mr. DeMickey, and he's got his video camera, and he's videotaping. And I'm trying to, you know, keep the, all of our guests from seeing what's going on over here or just wondering, like, what's going on? And it turns out that Mr. DeMickey was having a real attitude with what we were doing, that he, you know, complained to the city that he, we were running a church out of our house and, that we were breaking all these violations, and and I just felt like, man, we're just trying to do good and and trying to help people and sit in our backyard and have a talk. And, you know, it was one of those times where 
loving my neighbor took on a whole new meaning. That I need to now, I need to love this neighbor that doesn't like us, that has issues with us. And we had times where we would, you know, bring him uh, baked goods or we would say hi to him. And, and it really worked on our hearts there. And I don't know that it ever got a lot better, but I know for us, it was a real uh, test of, of our good neighborship uh, there. And so I've, you know, that would have been a really difficult question. Who is my neighbor? And so that's what this guy was asking. Because in the Jewish faith, or the Jewish tradition at the time, I should say, that they were taught to love their friends and hate their enemies. And so this guy may have been down with that, but Jesus has turned it all the way upside down, as we're going to see in a minute. Don't just love your friends, but love your enemies as well. So in verse 30, Jesus replies, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. And we'll stop right there for a minute that I'm sure that these guys had really good reasons, excuses of why they didn't stop. You know, this was a very dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And a few years ago, we got to go to Jordan and and see it from a distance. But there was a lot of uh, robberies on this road and issues. And so maybe the, the two guys felt like, Hey, this is a dangerous road. We got to keep moving. We don't want to get hurt too. Or maybe they were a little more suspicious and they thought maybe this guy is a decoy and when we go to help him, then people are going to jump out and ambush us. Maybe they were just, hey, I got to get to work. I got to get to my duties at the temple. I got places to be. Maybe as they left by, they thought, Someone should really stop. I hope that someone stops and helps this man. Maybe they prayed for him even. Or maybe they even felt like, hey, this guy, maybe he brought it on himself. This is a dangerous road. He was out walking alone. That's probably not a good thing to do. Maybe he said something to someone and, and just brought this on himself. You know, so there could have been a lot of different reasons why they didn't stop. But then let's look at the Samaritan who comes by next. He said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He met all his needs. He he had pity on him. He bandaged his wounds. He took him to the inn. He paid money. He committed that he's going to follow it all the way through until this guy was better. I mean, he loved him from the core. And many people think that even this person represented Jesus. You know, that Jesus was hated by a lot of different people. That Jesus came by after Israel needed help, that Jesus helped them completely, 
that he even saved their lives. And that was the role of this Samaritan. That's scandalous. That a Samaritan would be the hero of the teachers of Jesus' story. That's unheard of. You know, even as we heard last week that there were, you know, their race was not pure from the Jewish perspective. That their religion, that they had been corrupted by idols from these foreign nations that had taken them off to captivity. That there were so many issues and deep-seated hatred here, and yet Jesus chooses them to be the, the hero of the story. You know, how do we respond when we see needs around us? I don't know about you, but I would... I know that more times than not, I am the Levite or the Pharisee that passed by on the other side. I mean, I can have so many different reasons why I don't have time to stop and why this isn't a good time or, you know, I don't know, it might seem dangerous. But I know that even as I read this story, I kind of cringe. And I realize, wow. There's so much left for me to love. There's so much self that I need to get rid of. There's so much love that God wants me to grow in. But it also makes me think about grace. That that's what Jesus is for. It's a relationship with him. That there's no way we can do this every single time. That's not the point. The point is that he had compassion. That he sacrificed of himself, that he loved deeply. That was the whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we may ignore that call, but I pray that we remember our relationship with Christ. We remember how much he's done for us and we're motivated. This is not a checklist. Maybe this teacher of the law was looking for all the things he needed to do. And I believe Jesus is telling him that, no, I want you to have a relationship with people. I want you to love people from the heart. I want you to love me from the heart, not be perfect, be forgiven, be close to me, see a need and meet it. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I came uh, out of my neighborhood and there was a car there of somebody who had been camping there overnight and they had their little grill out and they had all kinds of stuff on the roof and tables set up. And and I was thinking about this story and just thinking, well, what am I going to do? And they had a, a big dog there and I felt myself fearful. that Maybe if I go over there with my little dog, Roxy, she's only like 20 pounds, that maybe... She's going to get eaten by this dog that, you know, maybe maybe it's dangerous. And so I kind of walked by on the other side, even as I'm thinking about this sermon. And I, I went on a walk and I came back and I, you know, got in a better place. And I said, okay, well, let me ask this person if I can help. If there's anything that they need, maybe they need some water. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they just, you know, want to talk. And I went over there, and they were both inside the car, and you couldn't see in, and and it was kind of too late. I felt like it was a bit of a moral victory that I, I wanted to help, but it didn't end up happening. But it just showed me how 
easy it is to walk the other way and miss those opportunities. I remember one time when Connor and I, we were coming back from looking at the shooting stars in uh, Joshua Tree and seeing the Milky Way, and we were hanging out with our friends, Abe and Drew, and we're all excited, and we're coming home, and we pass this car on the side of the road. It's 1.45 in the morning. And I remember driving by, and and that's kind of one of the things that moves me is see people on the side of the road that I'm like, it's such a helpless feeling, and you don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure their night is just totally wrecked. And so we turned around, and we came back, and it turned out that they had a flat tire, and there was all kinds of issues. It took us a long time to figure it out. We couldn't figure out how to get the tire off. It was... <laughs> Another car story where I wish I had a mechanic with me. We finally figured it out, and but there was no cell service there. And so we had to drive drive a person, so have them come with us about 20 minutes, make a phone call, come back. We had to do that two different times. We didn't get out of there until about 3.30 in the morning. And they didn't have a tire iron, so we let them have ours. And it was kind of one of those nights that was so uncomfortable and we were so tired, but it was also so fulfilling and so encouraging to know that, wow, we, you know, we're able to help someone in need. We're able to help someone when they had no one there and they, they might have gotten injured. They might have gotten hit by a truck coming down the hill because there was a blind corner there. And just thinking, man, God fills us up when we take those opportunities. And like I already shared, I probably miss more of them than I, than I make. I know I do. But I know God wants us to continue to be open, to continue to grow and look for opportunities, not just in people that are on the road, but in our fellowship as well. To look at people around us here, there's many of us who have lost jobs or their incomes have gone down during this time that they're homesick. There's even a family that lost their home. And just to be moved by their situation and to want to help and to want to look for people that we haven't seen in a while. And it's so easy even there to walk on the other side of the road spiritually. To think about people but then not reach out or not give them a phone call or not pray for them or not do something. And again, we can never do everything. But when God puts it on our heart, I pray that we can act and we can do what Jesus said, do this and live. And not only does it help us to live spiritually, but it, it fills us up. It helps us to know and see God's work even in our lives. Let's continue on. It says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, it's amazing when Jesus told stories, and it doesn't say here that this is the case. But a lot of times he told stories that were personal in nature. And I, obviously this story was really for the teacher of the law there. It had a direct parallel to love those that you have 
have maybe not loved in the past. But if you can remember the guy with the barns and Jesus said, you know, you say to yourself, you're going to build bigger barns and to eat, drink and be merry. And you get the idea where the man was probably like, hey, how did you know that I say that? When, where did you get that from? Who told you about me? And so it makes me wonder that even if this Pharisee, this story with the Samaritan, maybe it was personal in nature beyond just the, the Samaritan issue. But maybe he was somebody on the road that got beaten by robbers and nobody helped him. Maybe he was one that walked on the other side of the road. You know, but I know that Jesus knows just the right and perfect way to get to our heart. And I wonder if Jesus was thinking about, as he was telling this story, the woman at the well that we heard last week about, the Samaritan woman who opened up her heart and opened up her life and became a, a witness to Jesus all throughout Samaria. And just her openness contrasted with, with his closeness. And his close-mindedness. And so, ultimately, Jesus wanted him to love deeper. And just a little while, he was going to show him the full extent of his love. When he went to the cross. When he prayed for people that had put him up there. When he showed the extent of his willingness to sacrifice for each one of us. You know, even now, I feel like God is helping us to get deeper. He's helping us to grow. I know there's people in our fellowship that we're praying for desperately. Nikki Yester's mom, Gloria, who's had COVID and, and pneumonia and struggling. We've been praying for Sergio and happy that he's doing better little by little. And here in the desert, we've been praying for Lee Lubeck, who's Chris Ventura's mom, who is in hospice right now. And Danielle and I have such fond memories of Lee that every year and Every birthday and every anniversary, we would get a card from Lee and just letting us know that she was praying for us, that she loved us, that she appreciated us. And that was really so special, just her thoughtfulness. And even now, if she's watching, we just want to send our love out to you, Lee, and just thank you for your encouragement and to really encourage you back to finish strong. That You've been such a light to us and we are praying for you and we love your son here Chris and, and Peggy and it is just special to share the same faith with so many heroes in the faith and I pray that we can if you're visiting with us today that you can know that God's love is coming out for you that he wants to express that love that he wants to help you to love people in your family it starts at home he wants to help us and you love people at your job and be able to be that light for those around you and make a true difference in the world. But we're so grateful to have you with us and pray that as you get to meet people in the church that you see this kind of fellowship, you see this kind of love. I know that it has really impacted me throughout the years to see the relationships and to see the diversity and to see the the help that people offer one another and they give their shirt off their back for one another. And I know we're continuing to grow, but I'm so grateful to be in a place where we can uh, continue to love each other more and more deeply. On that note, I wanted to tell you my Valentine's story with Danielle. That from a very early on in our marriage, I had this thought that 
every Valentine's Day, I need to get flowers and, 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 you know, express my love and get a card and, you know, be a good husband, so to speak. So hopefully that a lot of, we're all doing that to people we care about. But it was interesting about 15 years in. I mean, and I always thought, you know, red roses, red means love. And so every year it would be a dozen red, red roses every year. Bam, bam, bam. And like 15 years in, I realized Danielle doesn't like red roses. And so every year I would find the best deal and, and get red roses and bring them. And so for 15 years, she was grateful, but really didn't like the flowers. And she never let me know that because she's such a good wife and so uh, considerate. But I finally realized what she really likes in flowers is unique flowers, special, different, something that's really uh, unique in that way. And so it wasn't until my, my kids were 11 and 9 that I figured this out. The whole time I thought I'm doing a good job as a husband. I'm, I'm, I'm really nailing it on Valentine's Day to realize, man, I've been mistaken the entire Time. That I was doing the right things, but I wasn't really listening or asking or aware of what was going on. Now, of course, we, we had a great marriage. We were still married. We had been growing. We were happy. But there was still a depth there uh, that I didn't know. And I think even now as we're going through these different times in the church that we always have loved each other, but now we're getting into new depths and new levels. And maybe we figured, hey, these red roses are great and come to find out, hey, they're not as great as we thought. That doesn't mean that we don't love each other. That doesn't mean that we don't love Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't want to be and put him first in our life. And like this passage says, love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It just means, it just means like it did to me. Don't buy red roses anymore. Do something special. Do something unique. Have it be thoughtful. And I, I, I've taken that to heart ever since. And I promise you, no red roses today. And even as we are having some different conversations about race and different things, we've been having some great talks with the squad. And there's 15 different people. And none of us agree on how to handle situations. Can you imagine that? So in everything, we all have our different views, but our goal is the same, to love Christ. Our goal to bring unity, to bring togetherness, to go together on this issue, to have our relationships be greater than any disagreements. That our relationship with one another is more valuable than anything in protecting that love and unity that we share that we're even able to have these conversations in a safe place is such a victory. And yet, it's not easy. It's uncomfortable. But it's helping us to get to see and know the red roses in our lives. And some of us feel that more than others. But I've been so appreciative of these people that have called and the conversations that we've had and just the openness of like, hey, bro, help me understand this. Help me know what's going on. Help me to connect. And we've had some amazing 
conversations, and I appreciate those people that have called with with the questions, with genuine hearts, to figure it out and to connect and to be united. And I want to commend them for that. Even we haven't always agreed, but there's been that love and that connection, and they've been putting their faith into practice with, hey, if you have a question, call the person, talk to them, work it out. I want to encourage all of us, keep talking, and we're going to be just fine. Keep expressing, keep listening, keep being open with one another, and Jesus is going to do some amazing things with us. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to the worst-case scenario or whatever crazy thought comes into our minds. Keep talking and keep Philippians 4, 8 in our minds where it says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Personally, I've been listening to God in the past year for myself and either even as a leader of the church. And I feel like I feel a call from God to really listen, to really love deeper, to do my very best to bridge gaps and help us to be not just racially diverse, but culturally diverse in our church, to truly be the church of all nations through Jesus, 100% only through Jesus, that we can't legislate unity, only Christ can build unity. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8, Jesus brings peace and ends the hostility between peoples. And brings people together. But I do want to share that because for me it really is. It's a conscience issue. That I don't want to ignore God's prompting. I feel like God has brought this up and I want to listen. And I'm sure that I haven't handled things perfectly and none of us have. But that is the heart that I have and that I share and that I I know that so many of us share. We want to please God. We want to do what's right. We want to be a light to the world. We want people to see and appreciate the love that we still have. And in many ways, we've always had. And now we're continuing to get deeper. So trust God. Trust your brother. Trust your sister. And I believe that God will make us even greater. As we close out and take communion, I think of those two questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer was right in front of him the whole time, Jesus. It wasn't about getting the right answer. It was about having a relationship with the person that was right there. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is everyone that has been created by God. And as I consider those questions and the ideas of loving God with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul, with loving my neighbor as myself, I realize I need Jesus even more. I need to be forgiven. I need his help because I cannot do this alone because love starts and ends with Christ. 
As this teacher of the law would figure out, and not too long after Jesus went to the cross, it reminds me of Romans chapter 5, 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he saw us laying down in the road, beaten and losing everything. And he stopped and he loved us. And he took our sins to the cross with him so that we could be set free. So that we could love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we can learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Pray with me as we take communion. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this timeless message of Christ, of loving you and loving one another. God, I pray that your spirit will work through us, that we can connect with Jesus and his heart and his actions to love us and to die for us even when we were sinners, when we were separate from him. He stepped in our place. God, thank you for his body and his blood that was broken for us. Help us to receive it and be grateful and be able to love you and love others with your help. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.